hosted on dimlywit.com. I'm Alex. And I'm Tina. And this is Obsessed Obsessed with the Best. We're two New York City gals who are bringing you the best of the best of all things beauty, wellness, and inspirational women. We've tried it all and can't wait to tell you what's worth obsessing over. Join us each week as we share our favorite products and trends and chat with leading female founders and experts. Welcome to Obsessed Obsessed with with the Best with with Alex and Tina. Tina. We are so excited to have Christine Sarno with us today on the podcast. Christine runs a financial services practice that is dedicated to empowering women in their journey for financial freedom. She focuses on a comprehensive approach to financial planning through wealth management, protecting her clients' loved ones, income and assets, and laying out mindful, intentional strategies in both their personal lives and with their businesses. Christine has over 25 years of leadership experience in media, promotions, and tech in both corporate and startup environments, and she supports her clients as their financial wing woman. Please welcome to the podcast, Christine Sarno. Hi, ladies. Hi, Christine. Okay, Christine, you are a financial strategist and a negotiation coach. Can you walk us through what does that actually mean? I I mean, in a nutshell, Alex, thank you for asking that question. Really, I'm kind of like your money wing woman. Love that. <laughs> so to speak. I mean, what I really specialize in doing and what I'm passionate about is supporting women in terms of helping them um, in terms of income generating opportunities, negotiating compensation packages that's commensurate with their experience and the value that they bring to any work opportunity, right? And that's one side of the equation. And on the other side of the equation, what I want to do is help women understand how we can strategically deploy what we earn right? Whether it's saving, investing, you know, and really paying our future self as aligned with our goals. How do we do it in such a way that we're well positioned in the future? So that's kind of in a nutshell, what I love to do. I love, so what, what made you get into this? What made you want to become a financial planner? You know what it's, if I may take a step back, a lot of it has to do with my own upbringing and Mm -hmm. completely transparent. You know, my mom, um, emigrated from another when I was very little, when I was three, my younger sister was one and a half and she immigrated from Taiwan uh, to the US and English was a second language for her and she didn't have any financial resources of her own. And to make matters worse, um, you know, my dad uh, unfortunately had to deal with some of his own demons in his life. He was an alcoholic. um, And so he essentially kind of controlled the money and he controlled mom's life. And so we watched that growing up when my mom came to the US, no friends, family resources of her own. And she really had to struggle through a very volatile marriage for a number of years. My sister and I, we grew up watching this. And I think the impact for me, especially as the eldest was, you know, it was a very strong message that I learned early on and a lesson that I've kind of taken throughout the course of my life that as a woman, when you do have financial freedom and that that really, I mean, whether it's money that you can use to walk away from a job that's toxic or a partner in your life that is, it's not a healthy relationship. It's really about just creating more choices, I think, for women. And so my love for my mother and my passion in terms of helping her over the course of my life as an adult really kind of translates into how I want to help other women. Oh my God. I am like nodding my head so emphatically. I'm afraid I'm going to like pull a muscle. I just, 
What a great answer. That Aww. 10 out of 10. Yeah, that was very inspirational. You know, thank you. Thanks for letting yes. me know that. Oh, thank you for sharing. It's so incredible. And it makes so much sense. I yeah. mean, of course, I mean, your parents have so much impact and that relationship has so much impact. So Tina and I are coming from our 20s, which was we both moved to New York City to pursue musical theater. We both kind of like moved in opposite directions. Tina's a makeup artist. She has a solo show. I do a lot of commercials. I do voiceovers, but we're freelancers. And in our 20s, we were true paycheck to paycheck. And people always say that term, but they maybe it's an exaggeration. It was definitely not an exaggeration for us. Like we were truly like charging on our credit card until we got the next check, like $100 left at the end of the month in New York City, working odd jobs at night, auditioning during the day. And we really should have been saving more. I mean, I look back and I should have been saving more, even if it was $30 a week. Like I, you know, so I would love to kind of take a step back and get some of your advice for people who really think that they don't have anything to put away right now? You know, first and foremost, this is not uncommon. And here, I live in Los Angeles, right? I mean, you know, and I am surrounded and work with people kind of in the creative space, right? Where, whether it's in, in the film business or, I mean, and you've made even some of these different industries too, right? Where it's essentially, it's one project job gig to the next, right? Exactly. A little bit of feast mm -hmm. and famine sometimes. Um, so, you know, let, I, what I'd love to say is let's take a step back and just go, I want to give both of you much credit for following your passions, right? And for, for pursuing what it is that, that really drives you, because I truly believe whatever we decide to do, we can figure out how to make an income from it. And when you love what you do, right, um, I truly believe that that allows us to continue to flourish, in our lives from a professional mm -hmm. standpoint. Work doesn't feel like something that you dread, you know, waking up right. to every day or going to bed at night thinking about, you know, how you're gonna be spending the next day. It's something that you're inspired by. So I I, I do wanna give both of you like a, a virtual high five for your passion, <laughs> it's important, you know? Thank you. But with that said, and I understand where you're coming from, right? Especially in an expensive city like New York, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult sometimes to stay within a budget. Um, I would counsel though that, you know, knowing that you, you, you might be dealing with variable income, what I always encourage my clients to do is that, especially when the, when the big paychecks come in, is to really take a look at kind of what their monthly expenses are, right? And we actually, that's something that we like to do first. I really want my clients to have clarity in terms of what does it cost to run your life on a monthly basis? And we break it down in terms of a budget. And this could be, you can use an app online if that's you know something that you love to do. There's so many great apps out there, you know, an Excel spreadsheet, back of the napkin scribble, you know, whatever it is. I just today downloaded an app called Personal Capital. Have you heard of it? I haven't heard of Personal Capital. Okay. Tell me, okay. do you love it? I don't know. I just got it today because okay. I was listening to some other podcast about finances and it was saying this is the app, but, and they said they got rid of their Quicken and they just switched over to this app and I use Quicken as well, but I don't know. I have, I, ha I don't have enough groundwork yet to make a decision. I mean, if it's something, here's the, here's the thing I would say. Go on to different platforms, try different apps, you know, if that, if that's how you like to kind of stay in, within an organized budget, you know, uh -huh. but make sure it's something that feels good to you. It works for you. And you know that you're going to be using it on a consistent basis. 
right? You know, if someone's not an Excel spreadsheet person and they loved keeping their finances organized on an app or some type of platform, software platform, then do that. Don't use an Excel spreadsheet if you hate looking at it. So, right. but my, my counsel is let's at least have some clarity in terms of what it, what it takes to run your monthly nut. Um, so your fixed expenses, rent, or mortgage, groceries, auto expenses like gasoline, whatever it may be, you know, utilities, right? We want to be able to at least turn on the lights and have them go on. You know, that's all good stuff, right? And make sure we identify those are your fixed expenses. You really do have to focus on making sure that you can afford to pay those expenses, right? On a monthly basis, right? Then the second piece would be your discretionary. You know, what do you spend on your hobbies? You know, dining out, that sort of thing. And what I like to kind of point out is that could be an area opportunity for us to pay attention to how much we're actually spending. A lot of times people don't realize like, you know, you're calling like, you know, Uber Eats, right? Or Postmates multiple times a week and how that's adding up, right? And the idea is, is what we all do is understand, right? If we've got some surplus at the end of the month towards savings, right? And if we don't, we might want to take a hard look in terms of how we're spending. And there's really two directions we can go and we can cut back, which can be hard. And at a certain point, you can only cut back so much, right? Or we mm -hmm. might need to think about alternate sources of income, other ways to make money to supplement that. So that's, that's one piece of it, right? And then what I would then counsel is then we move on to building something what I call is called basically your rainy day fund or your emergency fund, especially when you have variable income. And for most of my clients that work at a company and they get paid W2 salary, you know, generally I would say, Hey, about three months of your monthly, because now you know what that number is, right? Be sitting in an, a, a savings account, right? If you need it, mm -hmm. when you have variable income, I generally like to push that closer to about six months, right? So essentially that's the second step. What can we do? So when, when the paychecks come in, we want to try to deploy what we can to start building up that emergency fund. So that's now on a parallel path. And we talked a little bit about credit cards and I do want to touch on that, right? There's all kinds of different debt out there, but the, the, the debt that I despise the most, right? Because it really does come back and bite us in the ass. And this is my New York mm -hmm. thing out, right? <laughs> Through high interest, right? High APRs. Yeah. Because what ends up happening is that can really kind of derail our savings goals when we're trying to pay down, you know, mm -hmm. large amounts of credit card debt. So that's the number one priority. And there's different ways that that can be addressed, right? But really the can, what can we do to try to implement some opportunities to save while simultaneously bringing down debt, you know, and sometimes we just have to figure out how to manage the debt so that we can potentially do both. But it's, you know, it's, again, that's just high level. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have tips, like any just real quick tips on how, like how to start paying off your credit card debt or what, what your go-to solutions are for that? Well, I would say it depends on kind of how much you have, right? But I would generally like to advise my clients to see if there's an opportunity to transfer any of that debt to a 0%, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Credit card where you can actually transfer some of it, advise you some time. Now, the idea behind doing something like that generally is that you want to try to, to kind of keep to the minimum payment, right, on those cards. But we want to focus on paying down the higher interest balances first. So the credit cards that might be at 16, 17, 18%, right? Essentially, we want to focus on getting rid of that debt, then working on the next card with the next highest debt and so forth. And if we can transfer some of that over, to a 0% interest rate card that gives you a little bit of time, right? 
to be able to organize it. Now, there's also great platforms out there. Credit Karma is one. Okay. What's the other? And there's an, uh, there's another one that I, I really love. And of course, now it's it's eluding me. All right, I'll come back to that. But there's, okay, also back great, there's also great platforms out there too that we can actually reach out to, which can help us consolidate our credit card debt, will help refinance credit card debt. So That's awesome. Yes. So what would be, you kind of touched on this, but what would be your first step? So say someone's finances, life, career is in complete disarray this year after the pandemic. Like they have credit card debt. They are just finally got a job. They haven't been saving. Like what's the first thing to focus on? You know what? The first thing I would say to focus on is if you've got your health, especially after the last year, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Gratitude, right? That we're, you're healthy and that you have the ability to wake up the next day, right? And be able to do the things that you know you'd like to do and you need to do. So, so I would say trying to come to just at least, you know, and this is important to me too, a very strong mental mindset, right? About how to address all this. Um, so gratitude, number one, Right. And I think the second piece too, is to maybe kind of stop, you know, everyone's situation is different, but maybe kind of stop and reassess. Right. I have noticed in working with clients that a lot of people have in this last year who have lost their jobs have decided, you know what, my life was really, I was stressed out to the max at a job that I really despised. Right. And I have now learned to simplify kind of cut back on a lot of expenses that we didn't necessarily need to have in our life. And it feels good, right? To maybe live off of less. Maybe it's time, you know, to move someplace where the cost of living is not so expensive. Like there's different, I would say there's kind of different ways that you can look at this, but essentially I would say, Hey, it depends on kind of where you're at now. And based on your question, I'm going to make the assumption that you're saying somebody has been out of work, Yes. Still kind of dealing with that. Exactly. You know, that sort of thing. So I would say the first step too is to kind of really kind of get a sense of, hey, you know, at this stage of the game, is there an opportunity to collect unemployment? Right. You know, so just see if there's an opportunity to bring some income in while you're looking for work. I would also say, you know, while you're looking for work within your respective field, if things are kind of dry right now, there's other ways to make income. Now I've spoken to clients that have done all sorts of things this last year, you know, I, and, and, and I would even recommend doing things maybe that you might enjoy. I mean, I have, I've taken Uber rides with, you know, basically somebody who was an engineer, but he just loves people and he still wants the ability to have flexibility in his schedule, make some money before he lands his next gig. And he just loves talking to people. Um, I've also spoken with somebody who owns a property here in Southern California, which is kind of a small ranch. Right. And so what she's actually done is created a fun Airbnb experience on her ranch. She also has kind of, she has these baby goats, right? It's awesome. These goats, just a handful of goats. But what they've done um, on weekends is created Airbnb experiences with like wine and gatherings and that sort of thing. So there are so many different ways to create some supplemental income while you're looking for something else, right? That you enjoy. So I would say, you know, that's, it's the opportunity to be a little bit more creative on that front, right? Because income is important, right? So need to pay the bills. And I think also too, it's, it's kind of taking a look again at, okay, what does it cost to run my life on a monthly basis? Is there some room to scale back on some stuff for now, right? 
um, so that I can feel a little bit more secure about my financial situation um, until the next job comes in. So was that helpful? Oh, so helpful. I just, I want to speak to anyone listening after this year who just feels like they are in a black hole and starting from scratch. And okay, so then when we get to the point, this person gets to a point where, okay, we can save, I can put some money away, I can invest. I'd love for you to take us through kind of the best places for us to be putting our money and speak and kind of take us through it in the simplest, most basic terms as if we're hearing it for the first time. Just for anyone who's fresh, who's going to start saving for the first time, who's going to start an investment account for the first time. I actually just started um, working with Elvest, which I really, I love them. Do you like Elvest? Elvest is a great platform. Absolutely. I'm so happy to hear that. Yes. And you know what? And again, you know, I'm in such alignment with what they're doing because it's really about just empowering women financially. Super, super important. It is. You know? Yeah. I, I love all the values behind it. I love it's so easy to change the amount per month you put in. If you need, you have like a lower income month, you can change it really quickly. There's an app. I, it feels very safe. I love it so much. And I love the fact that you're already taking steps to basically get educated, right? And take control of your finances, especially as it relates to investing in the market, you know? So, you know, kudos to you. Congratulations on that. So just in terms of when you're saying kind of investing, saving, and then investing. So again, my basic rule of thumb um, is make sure that you've got an emergency fund in place. For me, this is my philosophy before we start deploying money into the market and other investments. And the reason why I say this is because a lot of us don't realize that if we're out of work, for a couple of months, we are going to have to tap into that fund, right? If we have to book a last minute emergency flight somewhere, right? It would be ideal to be able to, if we're going to charge it on the credit card, be able to pay that off because that might be an expensive flight. You know, a tire blows on the car. We didn't anticipate that expense, right? So, so those are some of the reasons why an emergency fund is super important. And once that's been established, then let's get the money over and above that amount to work harder, right? And everyone's goals are very different. So I won't give you a kind of a one size fits all approach, right? Because, you know, and that's what, that's why a comprehensive planning, you know, entails sure. having conversations with each individual to understand kind of what their goals are and what the time horizon is for those goals, right? For example, somebody is, you know, they want to make sure retirement looks a certain way. You know, I want to be 65 and traveling the world in retirement. This is how much I need per year to live, right? Somebody might say, you know what, I'm looking to buy a house in two years. So I want to save money for that, but I want to know where to park it, right? So essentially what I would say is this, when it's time to start investing, really think about what it is that's important to you. And I, I always counsel in terms of short-term, so generally one to three years, what, what do you want to see happen? And it could be buying a home. It could be, I want to take, you know, a vacation to Tokyo and I know how much it's going to be in the next year and that sort of thing. Your midterm, so maybe in the next, you know, three to seven years, right? What are those goals? And then beyond long-term goals, you know, and for most people, they talk about retirement. And when you're ready to start deploying money in the market, right? that's when you really kind of want to pay attention to what you're investing in. Because a lot of it has to do with your time horizon, right? How long that money is going to be sitting in the market, right? How aggressive you want to be with your investments. You know, basic rule of thumb is the longer the time frame, generally the more aggressive you want to be in terms of where your money is, is invested. Um, 
And then also too, on top of time horizon, right? And where your goals are, you also wanna pay attention to, and, and a lot of people don't think about this, but this is super, super important, is really the idea behind investing is, hey, at some point when I need this money, right? Am I going to have access to it? Because if it's sitting in a retirement fund, depending on where you've parked that money, right? You can't touch it without taxes and penalty until age 60, right? So if it's sitting in a regular brokerage account, right? You know, how long are you going to be able to let it sit in there in terms of what you're going to be paying in capital gains taxes, right? You know, so it's really important. And I, hopefully I'm not like kind of overcomplicating this because you had no. asked about, you know, what's Please, the reason this is so this. helpful. So helpful. <laughs> but essentially when you're ready to start investing in the market, what I would say is it's okay to start deploying a little bit into an account and just start to get your arms around it. But when you want to start to think about strategic investing, right? Take a step back, think about the goals, the time horizon for those goals, right? What's the money intended for? And now that starts to kind of basically dictate where you should be deploying that money. And then the last piece that I would say is, especially with for, for my female clients, um, a lot of people like to be very aggressive, you know, and they'll talk about cryptocurrency and the, the next best stock tip. That's not my philosophy. My philosophy is making sure that you are well diversified and that your money is basically being invested in all asset classes because the market does this. And sometimes some asset classes do this. And then the next year they may do this. So if you're invested, you've got money kind of dispersed, kind of sprinkled in each of these different buckets. The idea is over the long run, right? As it's doing this, right? The market will take dips, but eventually you'll see your money continuing to grow. So in a nutshell, just wanted to make it as basic as possible, but it's not just about throwing money in the market and hoping for it to grow. Right. right. It can be small, small. It, it's so hard, I think, especially as when, when you're younger to think in the future and to think, well, this, this small amount of money, if I put it away, it's not going to make any difference. But it does over time. It is. Grow any little amount. And I, I was very fortunate. My father was a, a stockbroker for 34 years and he got me started with a Roth IRA mm -hmm. um, after my first big paying job out of college. So I've been contributing to my Roth IRA every single year um, since then. Then, and it's been incredible. And there's some years that I wasn't able to meet the the maximum amount that you can pay. And then some years I'm able to pay because you can only pay into it a certain amount. But for somebody just starting out or for somebody who's not just starting out because it's never too late, um, where what are some retirement funds or where would you and suggest I also somebody want puts to, their I was going to ask this, Tina. I was actually going to ask you both to explain a Roth IRA. For anyone who does, because you hear this all the time, get a Roth IRA. Like, can you guys kind of walk through anyone who doesn't know, maybe if you're listening and you don't know what a Roth IRA is, what we just referred to, can we explain? I'm going to leave that. Can we explain there you go. No, Much no. better than me. <laughs> Great question, Tina. And kudos to you for getting started early. So, so an IRA is an individual retirement account. And it's something that you set up for yourself to basically deploy dollars, right? For the purpose of being able to access those dollars later on in retirement, right? So a traditional IRA basically is money that allows you, right, 
to, for the most part, you know, depending on your income, well, actually this is the Roth IRA. So you, there is a phase out with a Roth. You, after a certain point in terms of the income that you make, whether you're single or married, right? Um, you're no longer able to contribute under that amount you can. And this year, the max amount is 6,000, right? Um, and then if you're over 50, it's 7,000. And a Roth IRA basically is taking dollars that you've already paid income tax on and you're putting it into this bucket, right? Called IRA. Now it's up to you to pick where the money is being invested, right? Which stocks or mutual funds or whatever it may be. And over time, that money grows as you continue to add to that account. With a Roth IRA, right, you have the ability to access that cash um, later on in retirement. And when you pull the money out from a Roth IRA, you don't have to pay taxes on it anymore because you've already paid taxes, right? So that makes it a very attractive vehicle for individuals who want to save money for retirement because there's two things that none of us will have control over in the future. Where taxes are going, we have no control over tax rates, right? And we have no control of what's going on in the market when it's time to pull that money out. So if the market is taking a dip and you need that money for retirement, not only do you lock in a loss, right, at that time, but, you know, it basically decreases the amount sitting in that total fund that can compound over time. So, so long story short, that's a Roth IRA. And I think that's a wonderful retirement vehicle. You can still also contribute to a traditional IRA. And the difference between the two is with a traditional IRA, right? You actually are able to take a deduction off of your income that year when you basically deploy to traditional IRA. But later on in retirement, you will have to pay taxes on the money that you pull out. Interesting. Okay. Actually, right? I did not know the difference between the two. So I just learned something new. And each has their place in a retirement plan. One is not better than the other, right? You know, it really kind of depends on you know, what your goals are, what your financial situation is, what you're trying to accomplish, right? So I wouldn't recommend one over the other because comprehensive planning, we don't plan in a vacuum, right? So that has to, ha that has to, we have to pick kind of the right vehicles for something that makes sense for your right. overall plan. Oh my gosh, so helpful. I'm, we're all gonna go back and listen to this and take notes. I, <laughs> I know I'm already like, should I write this I down? Know, no, I'm I just know. gonna go back and listen and write it down again. <laughs> Tina, if I may, like, again, I, and when you talk about people that are just starting out, let me share something compelling with you. And this is the beauty of compounding returns. This is why it's so important to get started early, right? You know, what most of us, you know, when we talk about retirement, everybody kind of throws around age 65 as the sweet spot, right? And for me and, and other people, when we think about retirement, we don't necessarily think about stopping work altogether, but maybe that's a time in our life. We want to just take our foot off the brake a little bit. Maybe we want to work because we want to, not because we have to, right? And if you started investing, let's just say the, the goal was to have a million dollars, right? Invested and saved and get to a million bucks by age 65. If you started at age 25 and you deployed, let's just say, you know, roughly like 350 to 375 a month towards this goal in the market, and let's just assume a very conservative return of about six to 7% on your money. Very conservative, right? You'll have a million bucks by age 65. If you wait until age 55, right? You'll have to save about three grand a month to be able to do that. So that is the difference, right? In terms of kind of utilizing time. And I think of it, this is, I always joke around with my clients because they say, you know, the stock market is like, basically it's like the gasoline, it's like adding gas, gas power, right, to your money so that your money has the ability to, to grow and at, at a bare minimum outpace, outpace inflation, 
which a lot of people don't realize that that's one of the reasons why we want to invest in the market because inflation grows generally two to 3% year over year, right? Which means that if we want to spend $100,000, right? Which is what we're used to maybe living off of on an annual basis today, right? We're, that's actually going to be a higher amount. We're actually gonna to have to spend a higher amount to feel like we're spending $100,000 annually. So that's one of the reasons why the market, you know, investing in the market is so important because it's, what it's doing is giving you the ability to help your money grow, right? And at it's least that's so important. You know, you're right. When you're 21, you know. you're not thinking about how things can grow in the future. You're thinking about right now, which is why we need people like Christine. Hello, I'm David. And I'm Megan. And we host a show called Dress for the Podcast You Want. Do you get it? It's like dress for the job you want, but it's a podcast. It's a show about success, how we define it, why we crave it, and what we do with it once we have it. Each week we feature a new successful guest to hear their stories, get their advice, and sometimes make them sing a silly song. Or do an improv where they're trapped in the wilderness. Ah, do you call? You should come check it out. It's a lot of fun. It's got a lot of heart. And hey, all the successful people are doing it. Dress for the Podcast You Want, hosted by Dimly Wit and Background Joyce. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Ah. How do you con? <laughs> okay, I would love to hear yes. some of your <laughs> negotiation tips. So Tina and I are not negotiating yes. salaries. We're in freelancing. So Tina is negotiating rates as a makeup artist. So that is kit cleaning fees, travel days. Um, I'm negotiating rates as an actress on a commercial set or like usage fees with my manager. I just love to hear some of your tips when talking about money and negotiating around money. Well, I mean, so out of curiosity, what are some of the pain points that you're experiencing in your own well, negotiation discussions? Where I just, I wasn't sure what to do because I was presented, it was a very last minute um, makeup job and I was sort of... Uh, it was, you know, I needed, a, she needed an answer quick because it was like a really quick turnaround and it was asking for a lot of different facets. And so I wrote back with a flat rate of what I could do it for. Then she kind of came back and said, you know, I'm, that actually puts me in a, a difficult position because I don't have that in my budget and somebody else was going to not charge as much. And then I didn't know what I, I, I went out too far ahead of myself with, um, I already named a price and then I ended up lowballing myself because she didn't want as much as she initially had wanted, if that makes any sense at all. I've got, so I'm kind of getting the gist. It's, it's, but you wanted this, you basically wanted this this job or this opportunity, right? Yeah, I definitely did. I wanted this job or this opportunity. She sought me out and you know, what are, what are your rates? A lot of people ask. And a lot of it is dependent on, you know, how far do I have to go? Do I have to rent a car? Cleaning, getting extra brushes, PPE, like, you know, it's, it's definitely more of an ordeal now, um, post COVID. Yes. And people's budgets post COVID are not great. So it's more expensive to do what I do. And people don't have as much money as they did. Got it. Out of curiosity, right? Is that something that you, you communicate before you share your rates? Yeah, well, yes. Yeah. So I try and break it down per category. So if you hire me, here's all the, th I have like a menu, like a list of, of things that I offer, services that I offer. Um, and, and after this actual incident happened, I went and I 
purchased a contract, like a, make- a makeup artist contract, and to make sure I had every single thing covered, the travel, the the menu, and I made a menu of absolutely everything I could think of so that there are no surprises as the consumer, you know, because I've been that person before too, where it's like, oh, I didn't realize I was paying for that as well. Right. Um, so now I have that everything laid out, what the charges are. I love that. I love that. And here's why, because what you're doing is you're managing expectations up front before you basically even establish kind of what the rate is that you would be willing to take the job for. That helps somebody to understand whether or not they can afford you. And you know what, if they're in a bind and they really, really want to work with you and they understand kind of where you're at in terms of what you're going to charge and why, something may be within their budget. You know what I mean? It's something maybe within within their budget to get you closer to where you want to be. And I feel like, you know, so when we're talking about negotiation, right, this is, Mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that example. You know, one of the things that I counsel my clients is that it's really important when you're asking for a raise or a promotion, right, or you're negotiating a salary is to really lay out the value that you bring and help them understand, you know, basically the value that you can, not only that you can bring to that job or that project or this, this opportunity that you had, but also what you're accustomed to making and why, Um, because this is really helpful in terms of setting expectations, right? So that somebody, they're a lot less likely to lowball, right? When they know that this is kind of where you've established your, and and I call it what it is, your worth. Right, right. From a dollar compensation perspective. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any, like, any go-to verbiage or or points for like when somebody comes and says, you know, I can't do this. Can you do it for something cheaper? Can you go low? Can you go lower? Can you, I have a hard, I'm a people pleaser. I'm a, yeah, I'm a yes, ma'am. I want to make it work. I, I, oh, well, yeah, I can do you a favor. Do you have any tips for like getting out of that mindset and verbiage to be like, no, these are my rates. Because as a woman, we don't want to, a lot of times, we don't want to come off as being abrasive or hard to work with or difficult. But also I want to stand up for like what I'm worth and get what I'm worth, you know? A hundred percent. And, you know, and, and Tina, it's really up to you. Like if it's a job that you absolutely want, let, let's say it's an, oppor- it's an opportunity to maybe work with particular clientele that you think could potentially lead to more work and you feel that it's worth it, right? To take a little bit of a, what I'll call a pay cut, right? That's up to you. But I always go back to, does it feel good? Does it feel to take this job and you know am i going to go into it inspired excited about what i'm getting paid right mm-hmm. you know? and if it doesn't i would say take a moment's pause right great and the other piece too is that i always like to tell my clients there's nothing wrong with establishing some boundaries like you're you're basically you're basically setting the bar at a certain level if this person were to call you again in the future they understand what your rates are and you may not have to go down this road again in terms of just you know such in-depth negotiation But I always say to my clients to to tell somebody that what I'm basically establishing in terms of my fees, my rates, or the salary that I am requesting is commensurate with the experience, the skills, the value that I'm bringing to this opportunity. And And here's another tip. Generally, once you kind of establish that, I think as women, then we like to fill the space and go, because I did this and I did this and, and, you know, and, and, you know, what I say is that 
one of the most powerful things that you can do in a negotiation is once you've made your statement, sit back. And I always say, when you go to school for musical theater, you learn how to just be broke and work for nothing. Like that's basically what they teach you. It's all, if they like drill this into your head, there's always gonna be someone better than you. There's always gonna be someone who'll do it for free. And there's so much free work running around New York City as performers. And there's so much talent in New York City, so much that there is someone who will do it. So again, a lot of our 20s paycheck to paycheck, but also right. was, oh my God, I'm so lucky to just be doing this for free because I'm so lucky to be asked. And it actually takes a while to get out of that mindset where I feel like some of my friends who are in the more nine to five crowd, maybe kind of hit that, hit that you know, milestone with like 26, 27. But because as a performer, there's so much unpaid work, but it can be an amazing opportunity, but it doesn't mean you, you might get paid in a Metro card, but it might be reviewed in the New York Times, but you might have gotten a $20 stipend. It's a very right. weird business. It does take a lot of unlearning to just not feel so lucky to, to be there, but to say, oh, actually, here's my rate for this, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Understood. And, you know, Alex, and I, I do appreciate that, you know, and, and listen, early on, even in my career, you know, my first job right out of school, I made 19000 a year. I was living in New York, Sam, New York originally as well. Wow. Um, I lived in the Upper West Side, a paycheck and a half went to rent. Yeah. And I had to somehow had to figure out how to eat on literally 200 bucks a month. Yep. Right. And I paid my dues. We're talking 80 hour work weeks, mm -hmm. oh my three gosh. different senior execs, staying in the office till midnight, getting in it. So just, you know, and very difficult to negotiate early on in my career too, because I was green and I was mm -hmm. learning how to kind of basically succeed. Right. You know, well, mm -hmm. yeah, to survive at that time, right. In a very kind of corporate kind of dog eat dog kind of environment. Um, but what I will say is this, as you continue on in your career, right? My hope is that, you know, you have the ability to become a lot more selective with the free um, opportunities where you're not, you, you're working for free, or, you know, you're not necessarily getting paid, ideally what you like, but I would say, you know, at this stage of the game, are you able then to kind of weigh, you know, kind of what are the benefits of taking this job at a little bit of a less of a, of a, of a rate that you're used to or would like, if it's actually going to translate into experience that you want to have, or working with clientele that you feel could potentially, you know, right, translate into more work opportunities and that sort of thing. But then this also goes back to, right, how do we now create a financial independence platform that allows us to be a lot more picky and a lot more choosy, right, about the work that we take, you know? And if, yeah. if you've got six months in the bank of emergency savings, it hey, maybe I don't need to like get up at four o'clock in the morning to go, you know, pay for gas and drive, you know, you know, a hundred miles away just to, yes. it's not worth it. To, it's costing me my sanity. And probably, you know what, I'd much rather spend this time maybe being free exactly. and trying to, to network to get some other jobs. Exactly. We are so grateful Tina and I to be able to do exactly that, be more selective now. And it's, yeah, it's a very happy phase that we, <laughs> that we've moved into. <laughs> Yes. I'm, I'm happy for you to go. Yes. I'm happy for you to go. <laughs> yeah. But okay, what are, because I'm, I mean, still, yes, we have reached this new point in our lives where we can be a little bit more selective and, and turn down, say no. But 
for me at least, I know money is still a huge stressor in my life. And I there's always this sort of mentality in the back of my mind yeah. of, of coming from scarcity and that it's all going to go away. What are some tips for women, especially, to understand that they are deserving of financial freedom? Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. That's such a, you know what, I... I mean, if we had like another three hours, it, I, I would take, I would walk us through like literally a mental mindset, you know, you know, exercise here. Here's the thing. Like, I think what we need to remember is that money is a form of energy currency. It really is. And so when it causes us stress and it makes us feel like we're coming from a place of lack, what we don't realize is how we respond to opportunities and how we respond to certain situations kind of keep us in this limited mindset. I'm sure maybe you've you've heard of this before, right? You know, you know, one of the things that I like to do and what I like to coach my clients to do is just to take to take a moment, right? And just whether it's five or 10 minutes and just think about the things that you're grateful for and that you are able to do with the money that you have. Even if there's credit card debt, even if there's student loan debt, whatever it may be, I'm grateful for I'm I'm grateful for my home you know, that I'm living in today. And I'm grateful for, you know, the ability to, to, to buy, treat myself to a latte this morning. You know, I don't do it every day, but I'm, I'm doing it today. And I'm grateful for that. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, because when we are in a better, when we feel more confident and relaxed about money, it's a lot easier to negotiate what we want to get paid. When we're coming from a place of scarcity, we go, ah, you know, I, I don't, I'm not too happy about the offer that they extended to me, but I really need that job. And I don't know when the next job's going to be. So I better take this. And, you know, cause you know, and then we get into that place. And when someone says, Hey, you know, not only am I not going to pay you what you're worth, but on top of that, you know, here's a couple of other things that might, might actually be financially detrimental to you. You're like, you know, you, it, it just reinforces, right. And kind of feeds into more of the same. So there are different ways that we can get around that. I often say, look, it could be a friend that, you know, is just great with money. It could be a financial advisor, right? It could be a parent, right? That's been able to, I mean, how wonderful that you've learned money skills in the home, because generally that doesn't happen, right? Financial education generally doesn't happen in the home. And frustratingly enough, it doesn't happen in schools, right? Kids right. have Pythagorean theorem. They don't understand what it is to kind of write a checkbook. So with that said, I would lean on somebody, right? And just say, hey, I, I, I would love to talk to you about where I'm at. I would love to get some tips and some help. I've actually suggested to women that I know, you know, one of the things that we really need to do as women and why I appreciate so much being on your podcast with you is that we need to talk about money more. Women in general, like, I mean, and, and this is nothing... There's nothing, nothing wrong with the stuff that we talk about, but generally when we get together, right, we, we do talk about our work, right, what we're passionate about, our loved ones, you know, partner, spouse, kids, whatever it may be. And listen, I'm all about self-care. I loves me a massage. I'm right there with you. But we talk about self-care a lot. And we don't realize that self-care can also include conversations about money. When we get together with the girls and we're pouring a glass of wine, we'll talk about all these things. But but nobody really says, hey, and I'm not saying that this is the question that has to be posed, but nobody says, hey, how the S&P 500 teach you this week? We just don't yeah. bring it up. No, 
No. And we really need to start bringing that into the conversation being natural about it. And I know that there's a lot of, it's a very emotionally charged subject, but the more we talk about it and the more transparent we are about it, the more we'll learn from each other. Now I've kind of said to even clients of mine, let's have like, when, when we have a girl's night, like instead of a book club kind of thing, like everybody do a little bit of research. Let's all identify a pain point. Like what's, what's, what's the best credit cards out there, you know, in terms of interest rates, 0% credit cards, you know, what does it look like to maybe transfer a balance? You know, what's the best high yield savings account my money should be in for my emergency fund? Somebody else do that research. Hey, you know what? I just got onto LVEST, right? I want to share some tips about how easy it is to get onto this. And let's make that the point of the discussion, you know, and, you know, and someone host it and buy the round of cocktails that night. But this is, if you do this on a weekly basis and you start to elevate the conversation and we support each other, I really believe that we're going to see some change. I love that. And if you take that, the the shame and the power that money has away, and it just becomes another topic of conversation. And for so long, it was considered impolite. But I really think it's changing with our age group. I mean, Tina, when you and I, Tina and I have a really good photographer friend, the three of us got together after dinner, and we she told us all about how she was saving for her potential vacation house. And we really, really got into it. And I so I do think it is changing. But yeah, for so long, it was very impolite to share what you made or you felt weird asking or all of those impolite things. Impolite for women. Yes. For women. Because not for guys, men. Exactly. When guys get together on the golf course, when they get together in the bars, like having a few beers, trust me, right? I mean, we've, we've seen it. We've heard about it. They talk about money. Hey, dude, I'm investing this. Have you heard of this? You know, yeah. it's, it's that is such a normal part of their conversation. Yeah. And and we actually now, I think as women, we need to embrace it and, and kind of normalize it for us. And it's not, it's not about being nosy. It's about empowering each other, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree with that. We need to normal, we need to bring it up at a cocktail party. We need to talk about it, support each other, do research, everything. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And it'll, t- it'll take kind of like the impolite, you know, kind of the social, maybe the taboo out of taboo, it. If it's organized, yeah. if we make it fun, like, you know, it's, it's, it's like, hey, this is the idea for the night. This is what we're going to talk about. You know, I let's love have cocktails. We're all going to lift each other up. We're going to figure, you know, we're going to figure out great ideas and great solutions for each other because we love each other, right? You know, yes. we can all be wing women to our to our women. Exactly. So. And what a time to start normalizing these conversations after we've all been through hell this year. Everyone's finances, right? I don't care how much money you have, we've all been affected. We're all starting over in some little way. So let's just start fresh and start talking about it. And let's have, let's throw a money mix. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right? I love mixer. that. I love that. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Christine, I cannot even handle how many incredible tidbits and how much knowledge you have. Before we wrap up, we really want to ask you some rapid fire, just fun questions. Oh, I can't wait. Okay. (laughs) First of all, do you have a favorite cocktail? Oh yeah. Well, my go-to, so it is my favorite. It's Tito's Vodka Soda Extra Lime. Ooh. Oh, can't, you mean you can't go wrong. It's the perfect drink. No, so, I love that too. That's okay. So where is your, where are you sipping this perfect Tito's soda line? What's your favorite, favorite travel destination? I mean, I don't know if I'd order a Tito's if I was there, but <laughs> okay. it would be Paris. 
Paris, France, oh. hands down my favorite city in the world. Hands oh, gorgeous. Yeah. Yes. Tina, have you been to Paris? I can't remember. I have for like just 48 hours oh, and it right. was not I enough. Forgot. You did go for a little bit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so beautiful. Gotta go back. We need to put this in in the plan. Yes. Yes. In the plan. Yes. Trip to Paris. Trip to Paris. Getting back yes. to Europe. Okay. Do you Absolutely. have two beauty products that are just your go-tos you can't live without? All right. So I, and I love this question because on the very high end, right, I use um, a skincare line called Umir, which is mm. phenomenal. And Ooh. it's kind of like a, like a, it's like kind of this hidden brand that a lot of people don't know about, but it's, it's all based on like high potent, like high quality botanicals. Right. And I'm about to turn 50 this year. So I swear. What? No, you're not. Oh my God. No. You look amazing. No Thank way. You. Thank you. No, okay. Hold that. on. So now we need to know a little bit more about your skin. A little bit more. I, your skin, I definitely was guessing at least 10 years, <laughs> at least 10 years younger than Seriously. what you just said. I appreciate you. Thank you. No, I mean, November I'll be turning 50. Wow. So, Listen, wow. and it's, it's, so hands down, this product is fantastic. I've been using it the last couple of years, okay. you know, um, it is pricey, but it's just, it's just, the it's it works. All, yes. It's just high grade plant botanicals. And it's just, you know, I love what it does for my skin. Part of it too. And people ask me about, you know, sure, sure. Genetics, you know, genetics being what they are great, but I do believe in life right? If you are happy, if you're peaceful, if you're living your life with purpose, if you love what you do for work, if you're surrounded by, you know, just people that love, support, care for you, and you do the same, like happiness is really, I believe is the fountain of youth, really. It, it's well, for a hundred percent. You so, must be I mean, very happy. You must be very happy. <laughs> I, I have my days when I'm not, but but, but, but on the scale, but on the scale of like happiness, I would say most days the pendulum swings in that direction, you know, and it goes back to some of the things that we talked about, yeah. like just gratitude, you know, starting a day with a gratitude practice. Oh, I love that. You know, getting grounded in the stuff that we're blessed to have. So, yes. all right. So, so oh. mirror line, I mean, okay. highly recommend checking it okay. again, pricey. And then on mm-hmm. the other side, right. The pendulum swings way in the other direction, but coconut oil, my favorite body moisturizer. Cheap coconut oil from Trader Joe's, extra virgin. I mean, your skin is basically your largest organ. So I just don't Mm -hmm. want to slather a whole host of like products that aren't natural on it. And Mm -hmm. I love it. You know what? So does my mother. My mother is 57 and she has coconut. She looks amazing. She's in great shape. And she She does coconut oil everywhere. (laughs) Well, that was great. Just don't put it on like five minutes before you put on a silk blouse. Right. No silk blouse. Right. Right. Exactly. Got it. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. Have you seen those things around the internet where it's like any problem in the world can be solved with coconut oil? They're I like, love that. Just get, they're like, just pour coconut oil yeah. on it and it should be you fine. Cook like, no matter it. what it is. I'm a believer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, okay. So Christine, who is a woman that inspires you? Without, I mean, without question, my mother, without, I mean, she is, when people ask, Obviously, like, yes. who is the, you know, the one person that's been your professional coach, your, you know, spiritual coach, your mentor in life, it's been my mom, you know, and I wouldn't be who I was today um, if it wasn't for her. So, yes. She sounds like an absolutely incredible woman and strong and smart. She's a fighter, that one. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, when people have conversations with her, um, they really they really get a good laugh out of it. She knows how to mangle a lot of great English expressions <laughs> and make them her own. And I've posted some of them and, you know, some of them are, you know, not, um, not necessarily PC to share. <laughs> on the 
sounds like that's amazing. So funny. (laughs) Okay, Christine. So, where can we find with find you? And if someone wants to work with you, where can we look you up on Instagram, Twitter, email, whatever you want to share? Got it. Um, Thank you for asking. So, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook, Christine Joy Luxarno. Um, I also have my own website, christinejoyluxarno.com. And I encourage um, your audience, if they want to kind of start to get access to some of my teachings, um, to go ahead and just sign up um, for my weekly newsletter. Um, So really good stuff that I'm going to be sharing and will be sharing a course later on this year. So, you know, if they just want to be in the know in terms of when the course is going to be launching and have first access to it, you know, they can go to my website. I will be signing up for that newsletter. And me too. And all of this information, everybody will be available in our description box um, uh, episode notes of this episode. So if you missed anything, you can go and check it. We'll link all of Christine's places. You can find her in the episode notes of this episode. Christine, thank you so much. We were so honored to be able to talk with you. Thank you for sharing all of your knowledge. This was amazing. It was my pleasure. You ladies <laughs> rock. Thank you for having me. You rock. <laughs> oh my God. Don't forget to follow, rate, and review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more content, make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, Patreon, and give us a follow at Obsessed with the Best Pod on Instagram and TikTok. Hosted on dimlywit.com.